Hello and welcome once again to episode 107 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So, uh, as last week was very chaotic, this week seems to be less chaotic, uh, so that's good. Um, but uh, the EU has not changed and is still mandating uh, more things. Uh, so, what are they mandating this time? Yeah, hot off the heels of last week's uh, USB-C thing, they are now mandating that um, they, uh, Apple, and I think probably anyone, but I think it's really probably directed at Apple. You have to have a billion customers. So it's anyone except oh, only Apple, it? Facebook. <laughs> oh. There's like some stipulation there that like very narrowly like constrains the law to very specific uh, entities. Um, and but basically that is like, a tactic. Yeah. But basically Fang. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so it's to allow other app stores uh, side loading as well as iMessage interoperability. So they're kind of going for a trifecta there. Um, along with last week's USB-C stuff. Um, so yeah, there's that, uh, which I think is interesting. Maybe they thought, uh, you know, after they got the USB-C thing to go through, um, Marquez Brownlee had a really good video on like why they were very tactical in their wording of like being forced to comply with the, um, last week's ruling, but We'll, we'll post a video about it, but he basically goes into, like, they can comply by just not, you know, having uh, uh, any port at all. Like, in the in the wording, it says charging specifically with a cable or something like that. So, there's there's ways to get around that. Anyway, uh, I, I don't know if there's ways to get around this one, but um, the whole thing is that it meets that gatekeeper cri- criteria and basically makes them open up the, their services to be more, I guess, inclusive, question mark, is like what they're going for. I don't know. Yeah, I think this is just going to add more rampant, like, scammy stuff. Uh, but oh, that's yeah. just my pessimism. Like, I think that the App Store has been great for computing because it has simplified and allowed anyone to trust a device where previously... That has been a hot mess. Um, and like there are still rampant problems on the web. Uh, and to a lesser extent, like on the App Store, like they do exist, but they are much smaller, even though the App Store is such a big thing. Um, and being forced to allow it for any App Store might just allow the Facebook App Store to just be a thing, which is even worse than the current like scenario. <laughs> Uh, because oh, yeah. Facebook will allow everyone to like join, but then have like very creepy requirements of those apps to also share everything with Facebook. So uh, yeah. that is like the doomsday scenario that comes out of this. Um, and it, I'm not optimistic that that's like the only uh, that that won't happen, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've got <clears throat> legitimate quote-unquote legitimate companies like Facebook that could make their own app store. But then, you know, there could also just be sort of more of a... um, Well, I mean, I guess they include sideloading in that, so it doesn't even need to be an app store where um, I think there are... there, hmm, 
there's the time and place for side loading. Like for example, if you want to throw an emulator on your phone, you can do that. It's on GitHub. You can just go do that. I think that's fine. But the the idea of side loading any app is definitely scary. And we've I think this is like the fourth or fifth time we've talked about this. We had a whole saga when the Epic uh, versus Apple thing went on. So there's, I Some think, might call it an Epic. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> um, I think there are benefits, but there are very few as compared to the, the potential downsides that could happen with um <laughs> Yeah, like a fa- I didn't even consider a Facebook app store. That's super scary. I thought just like on the, on the <laughs> because everyone would download it. Oh, if it's just Facebook, I'll download. It. I Sorry, know, the Meta dude. app store. Um, oh my gosh, dude, that's so that's so much worse. Um, <laughs> but you've got like on the Android side, you've got like the Play Store, but then you also have the Gal the Samsung Galaxy Store, and Amazon I think has one. So it's like they do that and that's fine there's multiple app stores and i guess it works or whatever i don't have an android device so i don't really know what the whole deal with those are um but yeah if that, like facebook makes one or that said wouldn't that force samsung to also allow the amazon one on samsung devices like very easily which yeah i think, I don't think amazon is, is i don't i think amazon is the worst where like on their fire devices there you you have to like jailbreak the device to even get uh any other app store unless mm-hmm. you you know like you have to sideload it basically sideload the app store so you can get other apps uh yeah so i guess that would work for them too but i think obviously their main kind of uh entity that they're going after is definitely apple as they are uh the most locked down gatekeeper mm-hmm. and th- this always comes off as like very bizarre to me because for the most part, this is not helping the little person. It's helping very large corporations continue to make money. Um, and that's like who is rooting for these changes for the most part. I'm not saying that small developers are not rooting for the App Store to be more open as a result of this. That's the ideal that we want, though. We want the App Store itself to be more open and less regulated. Not that it just allows for any other App Store. Um and yeah, that's that's what this is not really dealing with in any capacity. And that's the unfortunate part that it's just a sledgehammer of of law that's just going to open things up. But maybe that forces Apple to be more competitive. Um, and that's the good side of this. Um, mm-hmm. The bad side of this is a bunch of people are going to end up downloading the meta apps or whatnot. Um, and you're just going to further entrench other ginormous companies and not really like solve the underlying issue, except as a side effect of that, if Apple cares to be competitive in that space. Um, so that's that's the biggest like worrisome aspect for me. And not to mention, like I don't know about any of you, our listeners, but I am the tech support person of the family <laughs> and of friends, yeah. and like needing to deal with this just sounds like a headache. I've had like a, a good 15 years of peace thanks to the App Store. Um, other than like the, the, the every now and then of like, oh, Microsoft called me on the phone and now my computer is hacked. Can you help me? <laughs> yeah. Um, and like that still happens and, but only on computers. It doesn't happen on iOS devices. Yeah. Um, so that, that's like the part that I'm really not looking forward to as a direct result of this. And I can, uh, like, I'll be the first to let everyone know when it happens. Um, because I think it will be 
uh, funny and ironic in that sense. Uh, but here's hoping that because of this, uh, Apple will open up like their restrictions significantly um, and have it be a better place for developers to to publish their apps. Um, and it's this lack of competition that has forced them into this uh, current scenario where they just want to make more money from services revenue or ad revenue or whatever um, and yeah. not actually improve the situation at all. So I guess they kind of force this on, on themselves. Um, there's a chance this only happens in Europe and it's like, it's not something that happens in the U S like that's totally possible. Uh, that said, WhatsApp is owned by meta and that is like primarily in Europe. So like that is something that can further entrench things for Europeans, which might not end up being good at all. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, that said, none of this takes effect into until like May of 2023, um, and then there are two months um, for like uh, everyone to actually put it in place. Um, so what I expect is at Dub Dub in June of 2023, Apple says, "Oh, and we're opening this and doing this and yada yada yada," um, <clears throat> and they will like pay the fees or whatever until it launches in December yeah. of 2023 or whatnot. Um, so the, I'm sure they will like make a deal that's going to like work out for them. Um, but expect to hear about this by then and not really in between because it's going to need a new OS release anyways. Um, and we'll see if uh, old OS releases need to be patched. I don't think they mm. do. Um, most of these regulations uh, tend to be like for further products. So existing yep. products are kind of uh, grandfathered in, uh, so to speak. Um, so, yeah. That said, there is the messaging framework side of this. And, of course, the yes. Mac Rumors article that we link to is focusing on iMessage, which is hilarious because iMessage is really not a thing in Europe. It's mostly all, like, WhatsApp and stuff like that. Right. Uh, so maybe this is a bad thing for WhatsApp and a great thing for iMessage because that means that you can finally use your iPhone's messaging service with all of these WhatsApp people uh, and not need to use WhatsApp on your actual device. Um, so I can see that being beneficial for Apple, especially if they only need to do it in Europe. Right. Um, so like, I don't know if the EU is, uh, targeting Facebook or meta, sorry, uh, in this scenario. Um, but it really doesn't seem like a bad thing for Apple. Yeah. I, I mean, the, uh, I can't remember when it was just probably a couple months ago when Google kind of had that ad campaign about just like you know the the green bubbles right and they were like super kind of hitting hitting apple hard about um not supporting uh what is it rts or something mm-hmm. uh um the, the isn't that us service. only though i don't know but i know that they were you know just like hey apple support this you know make iMessage interoperable with this so there's that side of it where for whatever reason i don't quite know why uh, apple i mean honestly i i'm all in favor for the the messaging thing i don't really understand why apple's so reluctant to kind of not support it um i mean iMessage has like some things like stickers or whatever that wouldn't be supported so i don't know if like there's that side of it or whatever but um yeah, it would be nice. Uh, I don't like in the US we don't really use WhatsApp, but like I'm in a uh a Smash Brothers uh 
chat group with Fernando and his friends in Mexico. There's like 16 of them and, you know, they're all in Mexico and they all use WhatsApp. And in Argentina, they use WhatsApp. And I think that's pretty common for like all of Latin America and definitely for the EU. So um, I know that like in China, they use like WeChat. My dad uses that for work and stuff. So kind of having this interoperability would be nice because I just like the messages app. And whenever I go into WhatsApp, I'm like, I don't understand what this is, you know, so there's that kind of learning curve side of it. So having that all in a, in a work, work well together would be nice. Uh, Do you think we'll get a new message color, bubble color for these uh, like interoperable ones? So we have purple. black for like the business stuff, right? Um, I think it's like black and white. Uh, then we have blue for iMessage. We have green for ancient SMSs and I guess purple for, for uh, interoperable oh, I- messages. I think uh, Facebook uses purple for their messenger apps. Maybe not. Well, then th- um, maybe that's like directly linking to it. Or maybe orange. they'll pick a, a pukey, a pukey color. Yeah, um, brown. <laughs> this, is, this is what you get for uh, interoperability. Um, no, so so kidding aside, I, I really do think that this could be good for Apple, especially yeah. if it's only <laughs> in the rest of the world that they enable it. Apple has directly revealed via their e- emails like the, the scummy reasons why iMessage is not more open, and that's because hey, if it were if it were more open, then there's no reason for parents to get their kids iPhones. They could just get them the cheaper mm-hmm. uh, like carrier supplied phones, um, and then you can communicate them, and then it wouldn't be an issue uh, because parents want iPhones, but they don't want to necessarily spend that kind of money <laughs> yeah. on their kids, uh, which is a great thing for Apple because that means that like devices stay, stay in circulation longer and don't necessarily get resold and all that. Uh, so like there is that giant aspect of it, uh, which, uh, is scummy because it's just Apple trying to, to make money make and money. yeah. Um, so yeah, I they're not required by this law to do this anywhere other than in Europe, so we'll see. Um, but I think for Europe specifically, it can help them greatly, which is going to be super ironic uh, that that is the case. Um, maybe it's tied down to the, the model of phone that is sold, so it's not even like a software thing. Yeah, it that could, could be. be interesting. Um, going down... Uh, our list of topics next we have uh swift ownership modifiers so something is changing about swift the language uh and this is to make it work better in high performance situations so when you want to make sure that performance is guaranteed uh which you can't really make sure you can mess around with a lot to like coerce uh it into the state um but you can't just like assume that swift is going to be uh, a high performance language because it does mm-hmm. take a lot of uh, shortcuts on your or it doesn't take shortcuts it allows you to take shortcuts and does all the hard work for you so that way you right. can have easy to read code and and so on and so forth uh, but that means that a lot of uh, things that you take for granted can't be done automatically by the compiler uh, to increase performance um, and one of the big uh, areas of this are move only types so basically Think of having a struct that's currently on your stack, right? Um, And you want to pass it to something else. A move-only type will allow you to pass it to something else without making a copy. Um, And that means that something else can operate on it safely um, in a way that 
you're not going to have to do any arc retains and releases. You're not going to have to copy that data anywhere. Uh, and it can stay in memory where it is. Um, and you can go ahead and do everything that you need to do. Um, and nothing bad will happen as a result of that. So it's adding a bunch of modifiers and stuff to the compiler. So that way the compiler can help you not shoot yourself in the foot. This is entirely possible in C and in C++, but again, shoot yourself in the foot is something that you can do really, really easily. Um, so we have two uh, proposals that uh, are basically doing the first steps here. Um, and this includes uh, adding a take and a borrow keyword um, and a take operator uh, to the language. So that way you can more tightly control when those retains and releases happen um, for reference types. And as a result, copies for um, for uh, val uh, ref uh, value types. Blah. Um, it does not guarantee all of these things. Like copies may still happen and retains may still happen when they need to. Uh, but this gives you a lot more control over that, that process. So uh, let's take a look at the take uh keyword first. Um, so you can put this in a function um, in, in a function uh, declaration uh, where you have like two arg arguments, A and B, for instance. And you might say you want to take A. And what this does is it allows you to take A from the caller's side um, to the point where the caller can no longer modify that argument that they pass in. Um, and that allows the the function that is taking a to work on it exclusively uh, and not have anyone else mess with it. Uh, this means that from a memory point of view, it doesn't need to copy and it doesn't need to retain a uh, in the reference um, in the reference pointed like scenario. Uh, so it can do stuff very effectively with it, um, and it can skip moving memory around, which is oftentimes the biggest uh, problem with most of these. Um, with most of these operations, especially when you're dealing with like high data data throughput, networking, those are the those are the main scenarios that, that this is dealing with. Uh, the second one is borrow, um, and borrow is the opposite. It basically says that hey, we're going to borrow this value, but we're not going to retain it ourselves, which means that it's going to we expect you to keep it alive while we use it, um, and that's. A, another reasonable thing that like you could have done easily in objective c pre-arc and just don't retain it um but you need to make sure like oh the caller is keeping it alive that whole time and mm -hmm. it's not just letting it go poof uh so borrow is basically what the defaults and like um how arc works but by putting borrow anytime that that default is broken possibly due to a take and stuff like that that can warn you um, and that can throw an error when you compile. So annotating high-performance code with borrow, um, like it wouldn't necessarily do anything, but it could help as a safeguard uh, for, for when that default case is broken down. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. There's I, there's a lot to unpack here, and I remember seeing this very briefly, like a, a week or two ago, maybe, mm -hmm. if I remember right. But um, yeah, I didn't really get too far into it. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, I don't even know where to start with this. So, okay. So like, let's, let's go with borrow first. So mm -hmm. if maybe I, I think kind of that last bit that you said, maybe 
isn't quite the case. So let me see if I understand this right. Um, if you have like a global variable somewhere and you want to borrow that, you're is it almost like you're making a reference to it? Yeah. Even if it's exactly. a struct, like you're not you're not making a copy obviously. Wait, you no or now I'm confused. Is the borrow So you might you still make... make a copy. Um it's it's not necessarily an in out. Um this is strictly for like the arc semantics, I would say. Um and that's okay. where these two keywords are really um important, but you can have a struct with reference types, right? And that borrow would nestle down to those. So any array, for instance, has an underlying reference to the actual buffer. Um, yeah. And your array is a very small thing. It's basically like, hey, my buffer's over there and I'm this big. That's the array struct. So very tiny. Um, and the buffer can be many gigabytes in size, for instance. Sure. So that is never going to fit on a stack or anything. So it's it's somewhere else in memory. Um, and borrow will basically say like, hey, when you make a copy of that array, don't make a uh, copy to that reference once you start messing with it. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so that's that's where borrow can come in. It doesn't mean that a copy won't be made. Uh, it just means that the references that are involved will be will won't be retained along the way. Okay. <clears throat> so with take, let's say you have that global variable and you call take on that. That means you're take you're literally taking the ownership away from like the global whatever. Yeah, that global and, variable does not exist anymore. And so what happens if you try to access it? Does it crash? No, so it will throw an error anytime your code tries to access it from that point forward. Oh, it's like super safe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, well, which that's means cool. Which means that the compiler can go ahead and say, like, hey, this well, global is probably a bad example, but say a local sure, variable, okay. right? Um yeah. So you have a local variable X that does something and you want a function to take it. Uh, so you can go and say, uh, do my func open parentheses take X close parentheses. And that function in its declaration also has take in it. So it says that it can also uh, semi-implicitly take it um, mm-hmm. whenever it can, um, which it won't always do. So that's a separate detail of this. But uh, But what take does is after that function call, you cannot use X anymore. Um, and that means that it will it will go ahead and prevent you from using X so that we can't shoot yourself in the foot because mm-hmm. you just pass ownership permanently to this function. Um, so that function is the sole owner of take. No retains were made. Uh, everything is just shuffle, uh, shuffled along towards that, that other function, and it, it can do what it needs to do. So on its own, this doesn't really do much for value types like explicitly. But it sets a stage for move-only types, which would be value types that don't move uh, or that don't get copied. They would only Uh move from different contexts one after the other. Um, And a very, like, obvious uh, way to think about this is, say, you have three strings with plus operators in between them, right? A plus operator is a function in Swift, um, like all operators are, uh, with two arguments, the, the pre and the post argument. Uh, or the left-hand side and the right-hand side, as they're colloquially known. Um, and it will need to copy the left-hand side and yeah. copy the right-hand side and then make a new string. Um, and every plus operator that he adds, it basically quadratically makes the situation worse, right? Uh, whereas the take operator can go ahead and take exclusive access of that first one and then just add to it, add to it. Wherever the buffer has enough space, you can just continue just move 
the data in linear time, um, and that can drastically improve the performance of even simple stupid code uh, that mm-hmm. the user might not even be thinking about. It's like, hey, I have three strings. Let me use the plus operator everywhere. Um, and then they didn't really know that they were doing some some silly code by do, using the plus operator, especially if they had large strings, for instance. Um, so with take, you can put take in front of each one of your strings with the plus operator, and that will make it explicit that, hey, you're not going to use this variable anymore from that point forward. So let's skip the part where we're going to copy it and we'll just use it directly. Okay. And I guess, I assume this is the case, but you could continue to take down the line. Like if you have multiple function calls, it takes something, then then you call a function in that function that takes the mm-hmm. same variable. You can keep going down like that. Yeah. As long as whoever ownership. has the exclusive access can do whatever they want with it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So... Yeah, it's it's mm. a little complex, um, but it will be very important for Swift, especially in high-performance situations. Like, hey, if you want to run a server with Swift, Swift currently does okay, but it's not yeah. the most highest-performance way of running a server. Um, yeah. And it does poorly on those benchmarks because it is doing a lot to make sure that the coding experience is really good. Um, so with this, you can approach the performance of Go or of Rust or of C++ or of C... Um, because you can use the nice higher levelness of Swift, but also use the compiler that's going to help you not make any mistakes by annotating things correctly. And then you're no longer copying your buffers back and forth. You just have that one buffer that came in from the network, and you're doing all your operations on it. Um, and it never accidentally gets copied from that point forward. So that's that's where the real benefit of something like this is. Very cool. Very cool. Um. That said, uh, Swift.org has a new uh, Swift Evolution page, um, and I recommend that everyone check it out because it's much nicer than anything that was previously available, like going to the GitHub and then just like sifting through the, okay. the evolution proposals. Um, so uh, this new page is like much nicer, so do check it out. It's at Swift.org slash Swift-Evolution. Um, and they basically have everything that is currently in review, everything that has gone through a view and uh this is something that i will probably be checking weekly uh so that way we can pick something to to talk about that is changing in swift um i don't know if any of this stuff is going to make it into swift 5.8 um or 5.9 or if it's a swift 6 thing um sure. these are all just like stepping stones to get to that like ideal of having move only types which is like a big endeavor um from from everyone involved so uh, I thought this was an interesting like introduction to that idea, uh, even though most people will probably never need to use it. Um, and and yeah, uh, do check out the Swift Evolution site because there are some like frankly useful like proposals that come in, like if let syntax got recently changed for the better. Yeah. So yeah, definitely go check that out. Yeah, it's nice. You can search. You can filter by different statuses, whether it's implemented, whether it's in active review or rejected i guess you wanted to look at those so it's way nicer than just looking through uh github yeah which was a hot mess previously yep um that takes us to our last item for today and that is uh apple has changed their in-app purchase rules yet again uh on the hot heels of of, uh, all all, uh all things that are happening uh and they decided that the act of uh, paying for advertisement in an app can be subject to in-app purchases. Uh, and they explicitly call out 
the idea that you can boost the post. So for instance, you have a social media app. I'm sure plenty of people have their own social media apps, right? Um, and you have an advertising company around that social media app. Uh, mm-hmm. And you want to let users say like, hey, I want more people to see what I just wrote about or took yeah. a picture of. Uh, and therefore, you can pay money to that social media platform through the app to boost that post. Um, currently, you could, or not currently, but previously, you could get away with asking for a credit card um, and doing this all like through your payment processor uh, and having full control over this. However, Apple has changed their mind and said that, hey, uh, if this is an app that's dedicated to showing advertisements on other platforms, sure, you can do that with a credit card. But if your app is the same app that you're boosting in and viewing the the ad that you just like boosted in, uh, then you got to use an app purchases. Uh, this means that if you have an app that has advertisements um, and you want to sell advertisements in that app for that app, then you'd have to use in-app purchases. Um, and yeah, from a user point of view, this is nicer. From a developer point of view, uh, this is scummy because you lose out on 30%, I guess. Um, yeah. But the only people this is really going to hurt are the giant corporations where that 30% is uh, something that's going to really annoy them. Uh, and uh, that is basically only Facebook. Uh, sorry, man. Yep. Um, slash Instagram. So... Uh, that's clearly what this is targeted towards. Um, I don't know why they decided to pick this fight now, but they are picking it and they have implemented it. Uh, and it is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. My first thought was definitely going to hit Facebook. I know you can like sponsor posts, but like <clears throat> the only reason I have a Facebook account, well, I have two reasons, but the main one is the Facebook marketplace is like, kind of where like i don't know classifieds are like a pretty big like buying used stuff off of people in utah is like pretty big um there's a there's a like a local news website that was kind of the go-to for classifieds but a lot more people are moving to the facebook marketplace to do that so um you want to buy or sell anything that's kind of the place you have to do it unfortunately um but you can also like promote like hey i'm selling this thing and you know, promote your, your, ad, your listing above other people's. So that, uh, I mean, in one sense, like, I don't know, I'm kind of like, good job, Apple for like screwing <laughs> Facebook over more and more. Like, <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. Uh, but in, in the, um, in the article, it mentions like Bumble, for example, like, I guess promoting yourself over other people for dating. But that's um, something they were already doing. Uh, they were already paying the in-app purchase fees. Oh, they were. Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I think, uh, is it like, it's like 30% still. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I guess it could be 15 if it's a subscription. Um, I guess. Yeah. Like more and more stuff ended up being 15, right? So if you were a small developer, it would be 15. Um, Talking about small developers, uh, I don't know if anyone uh, was part of that class action lawsuit for the small developers app assistance fund thingy, uh, but check your mail because I got my check for that um, and I was pleasantly surprised. So uh, mm-hmm. if you are a small developer uh, that has like had apps on the app store since like 2015, I think was the the, the time period uh, for that, um, do check your, your snail mail 
Um, if you're like me and you just kind of ignore it for the most part and check it like once a month uh, for bills, then that's that's something that you might want to take a look at. Uh, you might have a, a nice check in there. Um, but yeah. It's probably too late for me to do anything, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you would have had to to like say you were part of like oh, do wow. you have to sign up for it? I think it was just I don't know. Automatically I was getting including... emails for a while. I oh. just never did anything about it. Then double check those emails because maybe it's not too late. Uh cool. <laughs> this is the only advice I can I can send over. Or maybe because so many people didn't do anything then I got a bigger check. Who knows? Um, yeah, I think it was based on how much money you made in that time period i think like i barely hit like the lowest category which would give me like 500 dollars or something so yeah i I honestly don't know how they calculated it because this might be like equal or more money than i made um which is surprising um because that during that time period i really didn't do any any app store development for the most part so uh that was that was purely like any residual stuff as i entered into full-time work um so it was surprising nonetheless um but yeah uh so i don't know i I guess if you have ads in your app then take a look at this at this uh rule um that might be a sweet solution if you do have ads in your app just to offer an in-app purchase for people to to advertise there especially when the the fill rate is low you can just say like hey want to advertise there click here um and then you yeah. can go ahead and just like upload an ad uh to the users of your app uh so so i guess that would affect like overcast would be another one if they so they don't sell it in the app though overcast sells oh, it on their website not. yeah oh. it's purely the stuff oh, that's so sold can... in the app okay so you can get around it mm-hmm. sort of okay. yeah it's just it's it's squarely targeting like instagram uh for for the practice and i guess twitter as well uh for the pra- yeah. oh maybe this is why it's coming in because elon musk bought twitter and that's a whole fiasco uh so uh any way to to get on, in on it while the while the going's good i guess yeah well, I, know, I, I see people money. mass leaving twitter so maybe that's not yeah. a good situation but we'll see do you ever think apple's gonna like make their own social network they have many times. Don't you remember Ping? I don't. That may have been before my time. So Ping was a social network they started on iTunes where you can follow your favorite artists and get pinged. Oh, well. <laughs> I think you can still do that. Oh, they brought it back, but it was initially called Ping and it was a big, oh. it was a very silly thing. Um, I guess technically the the first versions of like iTools and uh dot mac and mobile me count as semi social networks yeah. because you were able to have like your own website and stuff like that um so it's it's not a social network by today's standard but it could have been considered a nascent one um yeah yeah i think it would have been interesting if apple like bought twitter and stuff like that when that was in the in the talk several years or dozens of years ago i don't it's been a hot while since that has happened um but yeah i I don't think apple knows what they would be doing owning a social network so that might be too much that's maybe too much like antitrust stuff i don't know yeah it would be good for a privacy conscious company to run a social network that'd be nice yeah but it has to be someone other than apple at this point i would say i guess imessage is a social network think about it I suppose so. 
it's the number one social network in the u.s not not for long if if (laughs) the eu has anything to say about it this week's episode of code completion is brought to you by not pho tired of eating some the same old meals time and time again consider vietnamese food you might already know pho but there are a ton of other flavors specific to vietnamese cuisine that are sadly not well known around the world this includes everything from sandwiches like banh mi rice plates like om tam and even the deliciously savory crepes known as banh seo that's where the app Not Pho comes in. It's a free-to-try app dedicated to teaching you more about the wonders behind Vietnamese cuisine, brought to life with colorful and interactive illustrations and animations. Learn how to make many classic Vietnamese flavors at home, but even if you don't cook, you'll know how to order like a pro the next time you visit your local Vietnamese restaurant. Recently new is version 1.2, which brought a brand new home screen to the app featuring a recipe of the week and a map of Vietnam, allowing you to explore recipes by region as well. Thanks again to Not Pho for sponsoring our show. Search for Not Pho, that's N-O-T space P-H-O, on the App Store today to give it a try completely for free. So Spencer, I got a code completion tip for you. Um, do you still use uh, Auto Layout? Yes, in parts of our app, yes. Uh, and whenever you do use Auto Layout, do you use the Anchor-based system to to go ahead and make some nice auto layout lines like a leading anchor dot constraint yeah, to depends super I don't, dot trailing I have, anchor. Yeah, I haven't actually written any constraints. It's usually just messing with the ones we have. But yes, I definitely in my own stuff in my own stuff I'll use anchors instead of just the like eight parameter uh, initializer for NS layout constraints. Yeah, no one should use those. Um, no. <laughs> so I expect I expect most people likely use the anchors because it makes things so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you know that when you do use the anchors, like you would say like, Hey, my view dot leading anchor, uh, dot constraint equal to super view dot trailing anchor, whatever equation you have. And then at the end you had to have to have dot is active equals true to enable that, that constraint that you just created. Um, yeah. well, it turns out that if you have several lines of those, uh, which you likely do because you have to set up like the, the X on each side two dimensions for the x two dimensions for the y and you end up with like a yeah. big bundle of of constraints uh it turns out it's really ineffective to write dot is active equals true four times uh because you're basically uh relaying out everything every single time you add a constraint um so it's more efficient to use uh ns layout constraint dot activate which is a static um, wow. class method that will take an array of constraints and activate them all at once. So that way you can you can go ahead and build out all your constraints and then you say, like, put them in place. Uh, and then it puts them in place on one go and it can reuse and any caches and stuff like that. So uh, that's the tip for this week is to use nslayoutconstraint.activate. Um, ideally only once per, per configuration of constraints. So if you have a lot of views, uh, add all your views uh, to your hierarchy, and then afterwards at the bottom have a giant nslayout.activate um, call that takes an array, uh, and in that array you can go ahead and have like groups with comments that like say, hey, this is for this view, this is for this view, um, and that should make it a lot easier. Uh, a secondary tip, I guess, is anytime you la- like write these things out, um, I am super dyslexic, so I always get confused. Like, hey, if I say uh, my subview dot leading is equal to constraint of the super view dot leading plus five. What does mm-hmm. that mean? Like, where's the five? Is it in between? Uh, is it like going in the negative direction? How's that work for trailing? The yeah. leading usually makes sense. And then the trailing is like, um, 
five and then it like overshoots by five and that's like not at all what someone want so a quick tip for that uh is it's kind of like an equality operator so when you say subview dot leading equals super view dot leading you're saying that the super view dot leading plus five is where the subview dot leading is going to end up so for trailing you would need to do the opposite you would need to say super view dot trailing is equal to the subview dot trailing plus five ends up at your superview.trailing. So if you've always gotten mm. confused with the pluses and minuses, it makes sense to switch the arguments uh, and think of the dot constraint equal to as an equality. Um, and that can make it a little easier to reason with. Unless I got all that wrong and it's actually the opposite. Who knows? I am very dyslexic, so <laughs> don't trust me. Cool. That's why yeah, that that's part nice. was a secondary tip. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, Sub tip. Um yeah, I've actually I've been using the NSA constraint to activate for a while in my own stuff, mostly because I thought it was like easier to write. I didn't know there was like a performance benefit to it, so that's cool. Uh, I guess that makes sense though if it has to recalculate or all of the the layout of views every time you call dot is active equals true. So yeah, I don't cool. know if it's, it's recalculating kind of... all that, but it's like reflashing all the caches. At the very least, so it's not doing a layout pass necessarily, but doing a uh, what's that called? A, a linear arithmetic caching pass uh, that like actually builds up the actual like equations for all that, um, and that's gotcha. what it's doing more efficiently because you can take all those equations at once uh, and make things a lot more effective. Cool, that's awesome. Back back in the land of UI kit, yeah. Uh, so if you're still stuck in UIKit, uh, definitely consider using that. It will make your apps ever so slightly faster, especially if you like mess with constraints a lot. Uh, but if you don't mess with constraints, you might be like, well, this, I see no difference in implementing this. Well, your battery life might see a minor difference uh, of doing this, especially if users force quit your app every single time they use them and then reopen them afterwards. Uh, this might make things ever so slightly uh, more performant and better on the battery, so that way your app can run for longer so that's that's a minor a minor win in that regard for that um even if you just like enter and exit screens you're rebuilding those screens oftentimes so uh that can that can be a benefit there nice so uh this week as well uh instead of a mini review corner we kind of have a max a max review corner uh and not max as in uh, macintosh but max as in maximum because as i mentioned uh loosely in last week's uh compile uh what do we call commented it commented out and <laughs> uh, last week's commented out my brain is farting afterwards after all that uh auto layout stuff uh but yeah. after last week's commented out i i previewed that i got a bunch of ubiquity gear um and i wanted to overhaul my home network uh and i spent a silly amount of money on that uh but i I uh, think it's worth it because I spent a silly amount of money on that. So uh, we will we will see uh, after I discuss all this if it actually was or not. Um, but um, so I have a few devices in this office uh, that have 10 gigabit Ethernet. Um, so it's currently this like iMac, the Mac Studio that's somewhere over there, uh, and uh, a Mac Mini that's off screen that has a big uh, chunk in hard drive uh connected to it which i colloquially call chunky boy uh because it is it is a big hard drive um and all three of those have 10 gigabit ethernet however 10 gigabit ethernet is kind of 
relegated to my office because I have one 10 gigabit Ethernet switch uh, that will just connect those three devices to the rest of my network. Um, and that means nothing else can take advantage of faster than one gigabit speeds. Uh, this is combined with the fact that throughout the house, I have a bunch of airport extremes, one of which you can see here. Um, and I have, I think, four of them uh, or five of them throughout the house. Um, and these have uh, done a pretty good job at supporting our like wireless needs uh, up until today. Um, however, they kind of ran into some more and more like big issues ever since one, our internet dropped out for several hours and two, uh, we kept buying more HomeKit cameras. Uh, and it turns out, uh, that these devices worked great when you have like a dozen devices on them each. Uh, but when you are passing a hundred devices on your network, uh, especially on your wireless network, uh, the routing capabilities, uh, tend to suffer a little and, and the main airport extreme, that's the router that would have to do the bulk of like the shuffling of data, uh, tended to start dropping packets and otherwise being a hot mess. So, uh, between all the switches and air quality monitors and other HomeKit stuff, cameras, uh, and then all of our iPhones and iPads and computers and anything else that uses Wi-Fi, uh, HomePods, uh, we were definitely passing that 100 client uh, limit and really taxing the airport extreme. So I needed to do something uh, to kind of fix this. Uh, and then my final reason, uh, other than I really wanted to do this because I'm a geeky person and this sounded like fun, <laughs> uh, but my my reason, quote unquote, is uh, I really want fiber internet and this is my, well, my way of like manifesting it into my life because <laughs> AT&T won't offer it yet. Uh, and every time I call them, they're like, oh, yeah, it's not, not there yet. Six to eight months kind of thing. Check back. Uh, so I, I want to manifest fiber internet into my life. And uh, this is one way of doing it uh, by having a switch capable of fiber internet. Um, I, I did <laughs> later learn that the in ultimate irony, the uh, fiber that AT&T sells uh, has to have a modem. So the fiber goes into a modem. Uh, and then that modem has five gigabit Ethernet coming out of it, so uh, I, I need like a, a. I would need. I would have been okay with uh, a switch that had ten gigabit Ethernet as like the main, the main router or the main switch for that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's not an excuse to get new toys. So I didn't go with that. that yeah. That now reason. your now your router has a cool one inch touch screen on it. It does. Uh, and the AR <laughs> does, still does not work for me. I, I will ask you about that later. But uh, talking about equipment. So I got a uh, unified Dream Machine Pro SE, whatever they want to call it. Uh, that's the big chonkin uh, rack mounted thing that I don't have a rack for. So it's just like on on a dining oh. room uh, like shelf, uh, you could say. So it's nice there. Uh, I didn't put the side mounts on it. So it looks like mm -hmm. a standalone console kind of thing. Think about big long Blu-ray player, kind of similar. Yeah. Um. So yeah, got got the got the unified Dream Machine, and that is now my main router, and that can do like 10 gigabit Ethernet, uh, 10 gigabit internet, uh, just fine. Um, and it also has a bunch of uh, toggles on it to like inspect the traffic coming through, and that brings that down the speed. But I still only have like gigabit barely Ethernet currently, so not a problem for now. I guess I'll try it all out. 
Uh, and that acts as the brains of the Unify like ecosystem. Um, and everything from there will will like be part of my network. So the only thing I have currently plugged into that is an aggregation switch, which is way overkill, but uh, has a lot of SFP, SFP uh, ports, which are um, like big empty cavities, if you've never seen this before, um, where you have a big long metal, and I can show this briefly, uh, you have a big long uh, metal thingy uh, with a uh, circuit board like directly on it, uh, and that just plugs into uh, those those cavities. Um, and that's how you plug things in. Uh, these modules um, or transceivers, I think they're called. I think so. Um, and these modules basically can do several things. You can have one that has an Ethernet plug like attached to it. You can have one that is directly attached to a cable to another module to connect two devices together. Um, or you can have one that has a fiber connection that you can plug in a fiber cable to. And then that can go ahead and plug into another one somewhere else. Uh, so there's lots of different like kinds of these modules, and that's the point of them. It's very flexible towards anything you want to do. Um, so I got one of those aggregation switches that's connected to the router um, that's over in my dining room. And then I have another one of those aggregation switches over here. Uh, so those are all connect that those two are connected by a fiber cable, um, a direct attached fiber cable, which uh, I'll get to later as uh, a funny story. Uh, but this, the one that's connecting both of those sides is 25 gigabits, uh, which sounds really fast from a networking point of view, but it sounds really slow compared to a Thunderbolt point of view. Uh, so take that for what it's worth. Um, I could technically put four of these cables and then have 100 gigabits, uh, but that means four cables. And it, these are very finicky cables, and I had a lot of uh heart attacks while installing them because if you crimp a fiber fiber cable that's it it's done uh you it's want glass. to yeah you want to not do that um it's it's fairly robust like it won't crimp easily but if you do crimp it that's it um so uh that's that's something to to consider if you are messing around with fiber uh and installing it around your house um you can get really fast speeds and if you don't get the direct attached ones, you actually have a fiber cable and then separate modules, you can update the modules down the line to 100 right. gigabits, 400 gigabits, one terabit, uh, and the cable is the same. Um, so especially for reasonable distances. For 10 kilometers, yes, you have to pick and choose your, your cables types uh, very carefully because it turns out 10, 100 kilometers, it's a long distance. Uh, you need some pretty beefy... Uh, lasers for those and um, the the cable itself is going to be a lot larger like the core of yeah. the fiber um, so better to better do that I think it's actually smaller um, but any case it's it's a it's a lot um, more nuanced than just like slicing together some some cheap fiber cable but the fiber cable that you can put in your home or in an office that that stuff is very cheap um, so uh, yeah, two aggregation switches. And then from those aggregation switches, I have all sorts of uh, stuff connected to some PoE switches that uh, will go ahead and give power over Ethernet um, to each side, basically. On this side, I have some uh, Ethernet uh, 10 gigabit uh, modules to plug into that. Um, I'm going to keep saying modules because the word transceiver. Uh, yeah, that's not fun. Gets It gets confusing in my head with like transducer and all that. Uh, so uh, I got some 10 gigabit uh, 
ethernet modules for those and that's connecting to actual computers because those don't have fiber um turns out you can get a thunderbolt 25 gigabit fiber uh like conversion boxes uh for your computers they cost a hot thousand five hundred dollars i did not offer oh. that uh but you can if you really want uh that is something Dang. that thunderbolt supports uh, i think 40 gigabit ones are also available but that's like a different a different module these are sfp or sfp 28 modules they're all uh-huh. like intercommandable sfp sfp plus and sfp 28 that's like one module size and then there's a bigger module which is quad sfp quad sfp plus and then quad sfp 28 um and that's the one that can hit um 100 gigabits uh so i think quad sfp plus that one is at 25 oh uh, no that one's at 40 gigabits um and then the quad sfp 28 that one's at 100 gigabits um so is it like four fiber cables fiber no cables? but i think it might uh it's either four uh actual like transmission lights uh so you have four mm. wavelengths um and that's how you just get more uh, but the actual plug is larger to have more lanes for communication. So it's as if you had four okay. SFP ports in one. Um, sure. That's okay. basically what it's simulating. Um, and then there's like there's a whole bunch of modules out there. It's like really confusing. There's bidirectional modules. So you have one fiber cable. Like this might look like one fiber cable, but there's actually two fiber cores mm-hmm. in it, like a send and a receive. Whereas the bidirectional one will have like a half silvered mirror with uh one wavelength on one side and another wavelength on the other um and that means that you can have one core have both wavelengths of light and those wavelengths of light are being like hey i don't like we don't interfere with each other so we're just gonna zoom by each other and that's gonna be fine um and then like the 400 gigabit like all that is uh way out of scope for this but they operate on the same principle you just add more and more wavelengths of light um Mm -hmm. and you can communicate with more and more data at once that isn't interfering with each other so that's crazy um long story short got a got a nice decent network uh, in place it's mostly entirely installed um to each poe switch i have one of those uh unify ufos uh which are the the access points um that oh, yeah give you wi-fi like that's the key piece that uh without everything else it's like well all those hundred clients on my network can't actually connect to anything uh, and these are fairly large. It's like this big yeah. a circle. Um, do I have one? I have a box of them. So to give you an idea, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big big concan circle. They're very heavy and very solid. I did drop one and couldn't hear anything rattling on the inside. So a plus <laughs> nice. to that. I also have bouncy floors <laughs> a little bit, so like that might have saved it. Um, but is it yeah. the the U six Pro? This is the U6 Enterprise, which is the first one oh. that supports 6G. Uh, oh, so okay. I see. I have a single 6G-capable device in my home, and that is the new iPad. Um, and I needed to be able to support that, right? Um, of course. Yeah, so the other difference between this one is even though you don't need 6G for faster than gigabit speeds, this is the only access point that they sell that has 2.5 gigabit Ethernet. Um, which allows oh. it to not only allow for faster than gigabit between wireless uh, devices, but also allow faster than wireless than gigabit for that device to uh, the the network. So um, I've seen on the iPad, for instance, a max transmit of two point four like gigabits per second, 
Um, and that's the transmit power and the receive power. So that's not actually your throughput, but that translates roughly to 1.5 gigabit, 1.8 gigabits. Um, you're thinking about roughly half of whatever that says, that's what you're actually yeah. going to be able to get in ideal scenarios. Right. Um, so that is all like super fast 6G. The only thing it adds is a whole bunch more spectrum that is currently unused by anything. Right. That's uh, so that's, that's the ideal. If you do want to get these fast speeds, do note that you need to like go into the Unify thing and configure your Wi-Fi to use the wide bands. Currently, it's all like by default, they're all the way at the bottom and therefore there's like no wide band support. Um, so you need to tell your access points, hey, go ahead and use 160 megahertz bands. There's like three yeah. of them in five gigabit and like another three and six bit. So not a whole thing amount of devices can use these at once. But when you do, that's when you get the crazy speeds. So um, and it's also even shorter range than than five gigabit. gigabit. So it would be like, I don't even know how well it would penetrate a wall. Probably. It doesn't really penetrate walls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that's something to consider if you're going that route. Um, if you have a very small house, you probably only need one of these. If you have a, a larger house with lots of walls, you might want to have, or larger house, lots of walls, lots of devices, you might want to have one per section of your house. That way, every place you plan to use devices regularly, like at an office, can get line of sight to to the access point because line of sight is really what it needs your body is a big sack of water that's not going to help it um so that's why they say hey it's all these on the ceiling uh that's why they're affectionately known as little ufos um and that's how you'll get everything so that's like kind of the hardware setup it's mostly all set up um and i'm happy there lots of lots of nice speeds uh that i can i can now get on the local network itself which is really really cool that said, uh, that is only half of the Unify story. The other half is their software. Um, and their software is a web interface that you can log into um, from your main router. So in this case, my Dream Machine Pro SE, whatever it's called. Um, and uh, that interface is really neat because it gives you a lot of insight into everything that's connected, including a big topology map. Uh, if you only have some of the devices connected, so I was using the airports as like bridge devices uh, intermittently as I was getting the fiber all routed, uh, then you will run into some issues like seeing that topology. So don't, don't be alarmed. Once you do switch over entirely to the Unify switches, then it will kind of see everything. It will tell you what ports yep. are connected to what you can power cycle ports, uh, remotely from that thing. Um, and everything seems like really cool and very polished. And that's how I learned to have like 140 devices that are connected uh, <laughs> yeah. some of those might be the same device that's connected to multiple like access points so your phones for instance will randomize their ip address not their ip their mac address um which is uh, media access control i think that's what it stands for but in any case it's the d unique identifier that every network device has um however apple for privacy will say like hey if you join network a you're going to use one MAC address. And if you join network mm -hmm. B, you're going to use a different one. So networks A and B can't correlate and say like, oh, Dimitri joined. Um, it, it's a brand new device. Um, so you can turn that off or you can leave it on. It'll just show up as two different devices. So that's something to think about. It'll just be disconnected on one or the other. So if you do have multiple Wi-Fi access points, consider that. Um, or SSIDs, I think they're more accurately called. So the, the options in the Wi-Fi menu. You can have multiple from these boxes, which is really, really cool. So it's not just two, like the yeah. the consumer ones. You can have eight 
uh, and really have at it. Yeah. It's cool. You can like set limits to like, I guess if you wanted to have eight, you could set like this has a bandwidth limit of a hundred megabits per second or 10 or whatever. It's mm -hmm. insanely customizable. I also have uh, recently switched to unify stuff, although not nearly as baller as, <laughs> as Dimitri, but I got like the, um, the, the dream machine, pill it's just like a giant pill looking th it, it almost looks like a home pod um because it's it's both a router but also an access point um uh, before i that i had like a mesh setup and it didn't work really well mm -hmm. um so I, I have that in in kind of my kitchen on my first floor um behind me i have an in-wall um uh, do those actually go in the wall or just replaces like your wall outlet so it what it, i had was just an um an ethernet port in my wall mm -hmm. um and then it just uses poe um and you know i had to re-terminate the it, the plug into it, it was it was in a stupid keystone jack and so i just put a, a normal ethernet um like a, a an RJ45 jack on it. Um, but the cool part about that is one, it acts as an AP uh, for my office where most of my stuff is, but also on the bottom of it, it has, I think this one has four um, ethernet ports. So you don't like necessarily lose that. Yeah. It's, it, it also acts as a switch. So that's super nice. Um, and then I put a not near as baller uh, UFO in my basement, uh, which is the, the six light. Um, mm -hmm. with it's Wi-Fi six, but it doesn't have, um, six gigahertz. So, um, I only spent like six, $700 on mine, but works really well. Oh, and I have a, uh, one of the POE switches as well to kind of, yeah, what you need for the access point. So if you want to get into yeah. this, the whole thing, you need POE switches. Uh, if you need, if you want to get into the baller version, you need baller switches, which is how this gets very <laughs> yeah. expensive very quickly. Uh, so yeah. if you can wire like everything to one switch, that is super ideal because then you only buy one switch. Um, yeah. But if you need a wire to like many parts of the house and then you need many switches to power the access points, of course you get stuff out of those switches as well. So uh, in this case, I got the Switch 8 Enterprise, I think it's called. Um, this one has a whole bunch of 2.5 gigabit uh, Ethernet uh poe switch uh ports mm -hmm. um and then two sfp plus uh upstream ports so yep. um that's how i'm connecting all the access points but if you can avoid that it can be a lot cheaper so uh that is yeah. something to consider there yeah i went with the the switch light 16 poe it's got um i think eight poe ports the other eight are just normal um, but it's all gigabit i'm just i'm still on gigabit um which is fine for me the only time that i really wish i had like 10 gig or even like two and a half gig is um when i'm like moving recordings of this podcast to my nas basically that's the only time i do like any large file transfers and mm -hmm. you know they end up being like 10 gigs and so it all the raw files a couple minutes yeah but like other than that it's like uh, it'd be nice but i'm i'm not ready to spend baller money on it so mm -hmm. but definitely i mean i've been super like I, I think I mentioned this last time we brought up Unify stuff, but I've gone through three different routers in like a, like three years, basically. And they've all sucked. They all crap out in like six months to a year. And this Unify stuff has been 
rock solid so far with some slight woes now that I am going to set up a separate network in my basement. But um, I think that's more of a configuration thing than the actual hardware not working. So uh, if you want to like kind of get your network rock solid, I would highly recommend it. It's been awesome and there it's stupid customizable and it's cool to see things like the topology and you can um, Dimitri did it. I haven't done it yet, but Dimitri did a thing where you like walk around the house with your phone and you see the, the Wi-Fi signal and where like dead spots are and stuff. So they, they do really cool stuff and it's cool that they make enterprise level stuff, but they've also kind of trickled it down to, uh, you know, the average home owner consumer that can take advantage of this stuff. If they want to be a little bit more techie and, you know, mess around with their network, which I know not everyone wants to do. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, so props to the Airport Extreme, uh, which is this handy little device. For 2013, sure. I think that these things came out, um, and they have been rock solid for me, like up until the point where I was like really saturating the wireless yeah. uh, capabilities of my home with like, I think I have nine cameras now. Um, it's, uh, for more on that, uh, you can listen to my other podcast, Explain It Slowly, where we periodically give <laughs> updates on. Uh, our cat's medical situation and the other one's behavioral situation. Uh, but basically they pee everywhere. So we have cameras to catch that in action. Um, so we have given up privacy in favor of uh, being able to spot when our cats pee. So that way we can uh, fix the, <laughs> fix the issue or try to try to fix it because they're lovable creatures. Yet they pee um, because they're creatures and agents of chaos and yeah, agents of chaos. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, I would say that's like something. Oh, one last thing I want to say as far as positives before we get into negatives. Um, the the Unify like OS uh, system, like I'm not using any of the Protect or Access or Hit. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a small business. Uh, I'm a small. I'm a one two person business uh, out of my home. I don't need like people uh, beeping into the office and all that. So I don't really have a use for any yeah. of that. So uh, that's that. Um, I have heard like. Don't turn on auto update for these sorts of things because Unify has, on occasion, really messed things up. Um, mm. So it's good to like sit on it for a week and then like see if people say like, "Hey, you royally messed things up." Um, yeah. So turn off auto update on your Unify devices if you can, and then just go in periodically and double check uh, if you want to yeah. be safe and not have a headache. Um, but the Unify like software is really, really nice. It gives you topology maps. It gives you lists of all the clients. You can disconnect clients. Um, you can like see history of like how their throughput is happening. You can go ahead and see what those clients are accessing, uh, in terms of like internet bandwidth. You can see how your ISB is doing. If it detected like high latency or packet loss at the router level, not at the Wi-Fi level. Um, so right. it gives you a whole bunch of data to mess around with your network. Um, you can upload a floor plan, um, as Spencer said, like they have a companion app called Wi-Fi Man, uh, which allows you to like test everything from, from your device. And they have, they have the whole AR mode where I think Apple like added this AR kit recently where you can detect walls and stuff. It uses that. Uh, and therefore you can just walk around your home and like build out walls. I recommend doing this, like do one pass your home. It's going to be very skewed and you're going to see your home like start to distort and overlap in weird ways. Uh, (laughs) Use that as like a plan A and then as a plan B, like actually scan every room. 
it turns out every square is one square foot, which is really, really nice from like a planning point of view. Mm. Um, the only thing is it doesn't export any of these maps. You just got to take a screenshot. Um, I was telling Spencer about this as we started the episode. I don't know if we'll keep it in or not, but you can tap and hold on an image and photos and it will kind of like do, do a, uh, a quick scan of your image and then like outline a thing. And then you can copy just that. So I copied each individual room to sketch and I like re overlaid everything um, oh, and cool. like re redrew everything out. And I now have a nice floor plan in my house. It's reasonably within a half a foot uh, accurate. Uh, so and that was good enough for me to upload into uh, the unify thing. And you can then just like put all your network stuff and show where it actually is. And I think that was pretty cool. Uh, the one built into the Unify OS is not as cool as their Design Center one, where you can actually like put the walls, um, and then you can drag the access points around and see like how they navigate around doors and all that. So uh, that's, that's so something cool. that is not in the in the main one, uh, but I'm sure they'll add it eventually. Uh, but it is available if you just go to Unify.com. Um, you can log into your Unify thing from externally. You can set up VPN, so it's like really really cool. Uh, really really thoughtful yeah. um uh sorry real quick that okay so with the vpn thing it's so cool um that wi-fi man is is awesome because like the only reason i ever want to like have a vpn into my home network is like when i have a 3d print running i have um a raspberry Pi running uh, just a local server with a camera so i can see it running but sometimes i'll like be at my parents house on a sunday or whatever and be printing something and i want to make sure it's still printing and not breaking my printer again uh story for another day uh but you can just go into that wi-fi man app it's called teleport in there i think you have mm-hmm. to set it up in the in the dream machine first but um once you do it just acts like you're on your home network so you know you could type in one and two dot whatever dot whatever dot whatever and it would kick you into the the raspberry pi server or anything else that you have on your network, you could access, you know, an SMB chair or whatever um, from anywhere. Um, and I guess you could do things like browse the internet safely and, you know, it's all being routed through your home network and stuff. But uh, super cool and it's free. I think it was in beta. I don't know if it still is, but it works solid. It's been, that's like one of my favorite things about this whole Unify stuff is the occasion where I'm not home and I want to get on my home networks devices so yeah i haven't had a chance to try yet so i'm i'm excited when i eventually do get a try you can log into your unify console like through their website but if you do want to have like full access to your network they make it very easy to set up a vpn um from their apps directly so uh very very cool there um now for the the iffy bits uh the iffy bits start with uh 6g 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 uh it turns out 6g uh is a very new <laughs> who to thunk um and uh at least on my ipad it takes a hot moment for like the ipad to connect to 6g like 10 15 seconds uh oh. so that's something to consider uh the second thing to consider is if you enable 6g you are basically making every device that's on your network inaccessible to it so make a separate network for your 6g but also include 2.4 and 5 gigahertz on that separate network. So it's a whole trifecta of like oh. all the all the spectrums. Um, and you can enable 6G there, but you also have to enable WPA3 um, and like all the other stuff that comes with it. So it's not a simple like, hey, this is additive. 
the 6G part is not. The Wi-Fi 6 part is, the 6G part is not. It's a brand new, like, uh, new way of thinking about wireless devices. Um, mm. This means that you can basically ignore the fact that older Wi-Fi devices are never going to connect to it. So you can use the new features like fast roaming and all that. All of that can be done on your separate 6G network. Just keep in mind that that is like a different beast than the non-6G uh, network. So um, I don't know if I'm going to keep using it because every time I like open up my iPad, it's like no internet connectivity, no internet connectivity, no internet connectivity. Ooh. And then it works. Uh, but it, it takes a while for it to like do that handshake and key signing. I don't know what it's doing. Interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, so that's like my first thing. Uh, my second thing is options. You have lots of options. You can shoot yourself in the foot. Uh, like yeah. we like to say with Swift, uh, it's hard to shoot yourself in the foot with Swift. It's easy to shoot yourself in the foot with uh, you know Ubiquity Gear uh, because they give you all the options that you might ever want, uh, including, oh, I want fast roaming, click, and then nothing connects. Uh, so like do do keep that in mind um the uh all the various wi-fi options you should probably leave on auto like let it do its thing if you want the the biggest uh acceptance play around if you want to have a separate 6g network which is basically only new stuff only wi-fi 6 capable stuff can go ahead and use that uh, including 6g and non 6 right yeah, Wi-Fi 6E. Uh, Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 6E should support all the options there. Um, oh, okay. So don't let any Wi-Fi 4, which is 802.11G or N, like don't let those devices connect to that network because it's probably just going to be chaos. Um, yeah. But any modern Mac, anything that supports Wi-Fi 6, basically, go ahead and use your 6G network uh, or your 6G capable network because it also has 5G and 2.4G. Like, don't deselect gotcha. those. Apple will yell at you if you try to join a network. It's like, hey, I noticed you don't have a 5G and a 2.4G network, and that means that you are going to lose connectivity as soon as you start roaming, and you'll switch to a different network. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, so uh, make sure that that's all all selected, but it's a separate network. Um, it'll be WPA3, so that'll be even more secure um, than the other ones. Yep. So uh, benefits all around there. Um now for uh, the chaos. Uh, I was previously having everything go to Airport Extreme. So I very carefully set up this network where things were bridged through the Airport Extreme. And then I slowly like swapped cables one at a time. And everything was now routed through the Dream Machine. And everything was good. Um, then I was like, okay, final step. I have all these access points that I hooked up. They're currently not being used. I verified that everything was super awesome on them uh, with an independent test network that I was working with. Um which I guess I'll pause the story here. Uh, Wi-Fi man seems great until you realize that like the internal Wi-Fi speed tests are kind of bonkers oh, and they are awful. not great. Um, I don't know why it's <laughs> terrible. Like speed I've tests, also noticed that speed test to the internet was faster than oh, these yeah. little things. Um, yep. I have not done an iperf three like test to like actually see everything, but given the transmit and the receive rates. I am reasonably confident uh, that, like, if you can hit half of that easily, then I have multi-gigabit speed. Even though their yeah. Wi-Fi speed test is like, you got 200 megabits, and I do, like, a Ookla oh, yeah. speed test, and I'm, like, at 960. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know what's going on there. Uh, like, big asterisk. I have I also experienced that. I could not find the test flight for Wi-Fi Man, so I don't know if they fixed this. Who knows? Um, it's been like that as long as I've had Unify stuff, which is maybe six months yeah so. um 
Also, uh, talking about the iPad, iPhone apps, uh, there's an iOS networking app that basically has every option the the web OS does, mm-hmm. um, the, the web interface does. So that's really cool. There are a few options that are only in the web interface. That's another point. Uh, but there's an AR feature in there that I can't get to work. Like I do the AR scan of like scan your rack. Uh, and then the next step is to scan individual devices. And that just like the little AR screens just like pause. And I don't know if it's supposed to do uh, that, but like the, the app does nothing. So I have not been able to try the cool AR thing, which means nothing at the grand scheme of yeah. things. Because like I have five cables plugged into things. I can see where they're going. They're different colors. Uh, but that would be cool one day to be able to use that. Anyways, back to chaos. Um, the The final step of setting up my network was to switch over these airport extremes to the new uh, access points. So I needed to add my networks to the access points that all my devices know about already. Um, this seems like an easy thing to do. You go in, you make a new network, you call it whatever the old thing was, you give it whatever the old thing's password was. Uh, and you click create. Um, you do the same for guest networks. Um, by the way, if you want to use like airport guest networks, there's like a special VLAN number, um, which mm-hmm. I am forgetting off the top of my head, but I can look up uh, in a little bit uh, that you need to use. And then the old guest networks will continue to use. Like these will work with the guest network that they unify events. Like turns out these are mini layer three switches. Who'd have thunk in 2013? That's pretty cool um like very limited but like they do they do the things with vlans uh so uh, good on you they do the thing they do the things Uh, (laughs) that is uh that is title worthy uh but (laughs) um yeah i i need to do the final thing so i add all those networks uh the two actually i have four because there's an ancient uh airport extreme the flat version uh the n not ac capable one um i don't know if you remember those uh but that one is running very old uh stuff but it's connected to a printer so that one i'm gonna have to keep because printer needs network access so uh that is my network dongle for the printer (laughs) uh but that had two networks on it too so i added four networks to the thing and i was like okay they are now on the new access points now i need to disconnect the old access points i unplug uh the ones that are not currently being used as switches um as i'll get to later this one's still being used as a as a switch uh, because cabling, um, and uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, but I renamed the the access points on those to old uh, with parentheses. Right. Um, and and it was time for everything to jump on the new on the new access points. They were ready on the old, the new network because this was to a new router. Um, and now none of my HomeKit stuff works reliably. <laughs> so oh my gosh. Uh, that is my current like uh, adventure, um, I should say. Uh, once again, I spent lots of money on this. So I am like very positive. It's like, oh, it must be me. It's not the device. It's probably the devices. Uh-huh. Let's be real. Um, like I, I want to look at this positively because I spent lots of money. Uh, but in all fairness, the airports were doing a better job. Uh, like once, once nothing restarted, like once the power didn't flicker or anything, the airports are doing a great job. Uh, but as soon as that started happening, they started flaking out. Uh, but mm-hmm. from the start, this stuff is doing a very poor job, um, despite it being, uh, way fancier and way more capable. Um, I can restart the, the home kit devices remotely, which is really nice. So I can go and say like, Hey, you, yeah. I'm not going to walk over to you and unplug you anymore. I'm just going to click reconnect and that's going to drop the connection and force you to reconnect to 
to a new access point. So A plus on that uh, capability. However, like the cameras are dropping offline randomly. Mm. Uh, and I think this mirrors the problem that you were telling me about, right? Where you installed an access point and ever since you made a separate network for it, that was going crazy. So maybe it's because I have three networks. I made a yeah. a, a new like large network for all the, the main stuff. Um, I made a guest network and I made a legacy network that had the same IP address range in mm. case anything wants to hop on that. Turns out no, nothing is hopping on that, so that's good. Uh, but because I have three networks, maybe that's why I'm seeing network craziness. I really don't yeah, know. It very well could be. I mean, I sort of very quickly installed that that UFO in my basement and set up a separate like guest network for it. Um, and then I noticed that it was really only my phone that I noticed it on, but um, it would disconnect pretty freak or i don't know if it would disconnect but like you would you know sit on a like safari and it would sit there and load a web page as if we're back in the 90s so it was like mm, there's something wrong here um and i didn't know what it was and then i realized oh it was about the time that i set up that no network so um i paused the network and the so i made a separate network and i also made a separate um ssid so i don't know if it's both or one of those that's causing the problem but as soon as I pause both of those, everything's been fine for the last two days, which sucks because I need that separate network. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I like, yeah, I'm not. I, I'm gonna have people living in my basement, and I don't want them to be on my network. So, like, I need to figure that out. So, uh, I guess the the goal of Dimitri and I is gonna be together trying to figure out how to get it to work so we can both be happy. Um, like, I didn't even I get to the point of making, like, an internet of tech devices, like, separate uh -huh. network and all that. Like, that would be step four to all of this is, like, finally move all of those things off yeah. the main network. Um, or at least the ones that do ping the internet, which you can find out now per device because Unify will so tell you. Cool. Uh, so, I, you know, I anything noticed... that never pins the internet, I'm not going to bother. But anything that does, then that's something that I'll be like, hey, you are going on a separate network now. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting with all of the analytics it gives you. It'll give you like a percentage breakdown of how much of your internet traffic's from where. And you'll get like less than 0 0.0 or 0.1% from like random things like Uber and TikTok that I don't use. And I'm like, oh, I do not like this. This is mm -hmm. scary. So, yeah, lots of good insights. Yeah. And you can see where that's coming from. So, uh, yep. yay for spying on your family. <laughs> don't do that, maybe. Um, but it does, it does give you a lot of benefits that if you wanted to set up a network for kids that has limited speeds when they should be doing their homework, for instance, uh, dis, disen, uh, disengage them from YouTube, for instance, you can totally do that. You can give them nineties internets like dial up, uh, and everything yeah. will be horrible. Um, and it'll be like, oh, I guess I'll do my homework because YouTube's not loading at a yeah. reasonable speed. So all that's possible, but because all that's possible, then, like we are, Spencer and I are being introduced to the idea of VLANs and layer through switching and all of that. Yeah. And it's like, we don't know what we're doing. Nope. <laughs> it's like, not no, at all. <laughs> no clue how to go ahead and diagnose uh, these sorts of issues. Like we can search yeah. the internet, obviously, but it's all kind of new. So that's, that's the final thing is if you want to get into this and just use it for basically what you're doing before. Great. A-okay. Everything's going to work. As yeah. soon as you start tipping your toes outside, be comfortable with the fact that you're not going to know what you're doing and that there are a lot of options that are better uh, touched only once you do know like what they do. So yeah, some, something the one, to calibrate yourself on. 
yeah something with that is uh like you mentioned with the um the os updates not being particularly stable sometimes i've noticed that in the release notes they have a comment section right in that same page where people will say like yep this this works fine for me and so the community around all of this equipment seems to be really good where it's very active and vocal and saying like yep this is all good oh no this broke for me they've got a couple good subreddits that you could go to so it's not like you're completely on your own per se and like looking at unifies documentation people are doing the same thing that mm-hmm. you're doing but i mean it's it's like figuring out a problem when you're coding like you've got to google things and do a little research to figure it out it's not just a there's no stack overflow for this but there is a reddit and there is a community yeah. forum on ui.com uh which great domain name by the way um yes so you're not sure you're not paid a pretty penny for that oh definitely you're not on your own. Uh, there's like basically everyone else who uses Unity stuff is either a small business or a home nerd or like a small ISP. Um, yep. It's not really used in like super big enterprise stuff other than for their access points and switches apparently, but the routing stuff is not really used. So if you see yeah. reviews that say like, hey, don't use a Unify router, use a PFSense. Like if you need the businessy parts that Unify does not give you, then yes, go in that direction. Sure. But if you are someone who does not want to have a broken network, go with the Unify stuff because for the most part, it's going to be foolproof. Um, at the very yeah. least, the defaults are foolproof. So um, that is something like I saw during my research is a bunch of people saying like, hey, don't use the Unify Dream Machine. Uh, I don't recommend it to my clients. And their clients are 1,000 plus employee organizations. Yeah. So that is a very different thing than me. And most of those people do have clarifying videos that do go into why they don't recommend it. It's like, well, for the VPN, you don't have a site-to-site VPN. It's like, I don't need site-to-site VPN. Check next. <laughs> What's the next thing? And then at the end, yeah. they say, like, well, why might you want to use it? It's like, well, there's a whole bunch of reasons that I agree with. So that is something that validates at least my own thinking for my use case. So uh, something to get into, like... I foresee the fact that I might need multiple WANs in the future. One for a business line, one for uh, a a personal, like, regular line. So that's why I got the thing with two WAN ports. Spencer may not need a business line, so he got the the little one that just has an access point built in. uh, And as a result of that, it is way cheaper and easier to, like, plug in, does not use nearly as much space, and you get an access point out of that. So use, get the... Get the devices that you need. Nice thing is it's all modular. You can replace. Uh, if you don't need 10 gigabit now and you need it later, don't get 10 gigabit now. Get a smaller switch. You can resell these. Yep. <laughs> like they they are a, yeah. a hot commod, uh, a constrained commodity at the moment. Like it's near impossible yes. to get all these unless you like really like hunker down at 4 a.m. It's like okay, what did they add? Uh, what can I nab on early access or whatnot? Uh, don't get the early access stuff if you don't know what you're doing um get the only the regular release stuff because the early access stuff might never come back uh so you might be like hey i got this really cool switch that has 500 gigabit or whatever and it's like that switch is gone it's barely being maintained um so something to consider that was a max review corner (laughs) that was our entire episode um in any case as always i want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes go live and feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also 
uh, interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. And now's the time where I share what the Agents of Chaos have done to my prized plans. So I mentioned several times that I mostly built out my network. Uh, there's one part of my network that I did not build out yet, and that is Lynn's office. So uh, we share like offices adjacent to one another. Um, and I wanted to get some good Wi-Fi and uh, network port in there, so that way she can connect one of those OWC pubs and then have like at least at the very least Ethernet access now, and maybe 10 gigabit Ethernet once the the the, the blocks and the hubs they like figure shit out and make it cheaper. Um, so. Mm-hmm. I wanted something in her office that she can go ahead and use. Uh, it turns out that um, this is a little more complicated than I thought it would be uh, because I need to actually run a fiber cable uh, to that part of the house. Um, and that was just like one step. So first step, I was going to be like, okay, I'm going to do the living room first um, because I know where the cables are. It's already there. I'm just basically replacing the cables. Um, by the way, if you want to nail fiber cables to uh, your wall and you don't know like what size uh, they are, go uh, and take like this is the size of it's pretty small. It's much smaller than Ethernet. So go ahead and bring oh, yeah. uh, an iPhone USB like iPhone like Lightning to USB C USB A whatever. Bring one of those cables with you to Home Depot and then you can size match uh, because that's the same nice. size as these um, like multi mode cables. Um, and what we settled on were the phone. Uh, do you remember phone lines? They're those flat, uh, mm-hmm. like rectangular cables, um, usually with yeah. four, uh, four copper cables in it for two lines on a phone system. Um, and what we found were phone line low voltage uh, wall jack, wall pin uh, staples, whatever those are called. Yeah, the little plastic things that you hang mm-hmm. nail has the nail and yeah. Yeah, uh, but size for phone cables, and it turns out that's perfect for two fiber cables if you needed two or just one um, nice. if you just need one. So uh, be careful also when you're going around corners, like don't don't pinch, like give it a yeah. little leeway. Make sure that the thing doesn't doesn't crumple. Um, and what we learned in the process: have your fiber cable plugged in because then you get a blinky light that's going to stop blinking every time you anytime you mess up. Um, once you mess up, then <laughs> yeah. that's that. But you don't have to continue with the installation process. Is the point. Fair. Uh, in any case, I found this out midway because first we wanted our living room because that's where the main switch was. And that was like an obvious place of like, hey, here's the first PoE switch, which is going to be way over here. So I get my, we had two t- um, 10 gigabit fiber DAC cables, which use fiber in between. Um, one was intended for the office. One was intended for the living room. They're both 20 meters, so fairly long. Um, and... I, I go like unwinding it because of course it's coiled so it's going to be like a twisty mess and if you pull that will kink so wanted to get that elongated so got that elongated uh, started plugging it in to make sure that things work as a basic rule of thumb and then start like going behind my TV and getting that all like wired up uh, and as I'm doing that I hear Kita no um, it turns out uh, the agents of chaos have uh, uh, come out once again 
um, and have taken this beautiful cable, which let's see if Ooh. I can find uh, where the chaos happened. Ah, found it. It's uh, right here that the chaos has happened. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you get a look. Uh, if you're on a podcast, oh, you just get to see so uh, here. Uh, but basically, I have a very disconnected piece of fiber where it's only the inner sheathing that's kind of holding it together. The two fiber um, like c- connections that are inside of this are very, very small. Uh, and they have both been cut. Um, so there are other parts where there are bite marks. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't know it was cut initially. So I'm like, quick, let me get electrical tape uh, just to hold it in place. Um, like <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. gonna, it's not gonna. There's no electrical part of this. It's all with light. Um, so I, I use electrical tape to like hold it in place as much as possible before it like further frayed. Um, turns out it was too late. Plug both ends, both pieces in. No light. Um, so yeah, that's that's a, a downside of this. Um, you can, when you plug it in, see like two little blinkies. Uh, so that's the fun part of a fiber cable is you get a little, see little blinkies. Um, but yeah, uh, long story short, uh, they have destroyed a $50 cable, which plus $15 of shipping comes out to like a $70 cable, um, which is ironic because, uh, I could have got two of these modules that accept a LC fiber cable, which is essentially this part with the plug, um, and I could have, and the plug basically goes directly to the little LEDs that blinky blinky. Um, I could have gotten just the modules, not a direct attach cable, uh, and then mm-hmm. separately ordered a cable to the exact length that I need. And the cable would have been like five to ten bucks, uh, yeah. and the modules would have been together about like forty bucks. So, uh, long story short, I could have spent a similar amount of money on like the individual pieces of this uh, and come out way ahead. But uh, I did not, and I did not for the yeah. the reorder. Um, so I, I had a spare because I was going to use one for Lynn's office. So I used that for the living room. We put the cats both away <laughs> during that process. They're meowing up a storm. Um, oh, no. But they, they had a lot of fun chewing on this. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's how uh, a $50 cable accident happened. Um, Bummer. Yeah, when we were doing the 25 gigabit cable, I'm like, okay, I am not unwinding this. We are unwinding it. Lynn, you are the unwinder. You just spin around in a circle every time you unwind a thing, and that will do the same thing. Um, yeah. And you're holding in your hands, and I am, like, very close to you, and there's no... <laughs> like, that way we didn't have to lock the cats up. Um, but we, like, very carefully did it. And every time there's, like, a, a corner, I'm like... I didn't, or every time I miss with the hammer and I hit the cable, I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't mess it up, did I? Uh, so yeah. I quickly go and like, Lynn, go back to the thing, plug it in. Do you see blinky blinkies? Um, <laughs> and that, that's how we, how we, uh, installed fiber. So, uh, if you have like a conduit and stuff like that, do that route and like build, yeah. build your house with fiber because that would be awesome because then you don't need to replace those cables ever again. Um, yeah. and then that, that is like the ideal. You can just put whatever size switch and whatever size modules that get cheaper over time. Um, not at all a problem. Uh, but if you're doing it, the like, this is all kind of temporary. So I didn't, I just like, I'm just going to get pre-cut, pre-terminated. I don't need to figure anything out. Um, yeah. but I do have cats. So if you have cats, they're going to want to chew chewy on the, the cable that you're installing as you're stapling into the wall. So, uh, do keep that in mind. That's so the... did you put it like along the baseboard? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's so are right... they going to be able to chew on it? No. Or so it's very it close, close to the, to the wall. wall. It's very oh. close to the wall. Uh, there are a few points where it's like elbows out a little and I'm hoping for the best. 
Um, but yeah, you just see your network go down one day, and you're like, mm, I know what happened. <laughs> that that happened again. I guess if it happens a third time, that's probably when I'll get the the LC cables directly. Um, yeah. and then that'll be less of a less of a concern. But yeah, it's a, a sad occurrence. So that's a big old bummer. I know you can splice fiber cables but like i looked on the inside of the these these sheets because it's just a sheath that's there to protect it the actual cable is like less than half a millimeter like very very tiny um yeah. and like i guess if i have a magnifying glass and then an exacto knife i can cut diagonals on each side and then like put them very close and then put a little super yeah. glue or something and if i get it just right then it would work um yeah, I don't have the other ends of the cables, unfortunately, to test with, like, a flashlight to see if, like, you can see the light um, <laughs> that you've, like, done the slicing correctly. That'd be cool. So, um, yeah, it might, it might be dead end for for this this particular cable, but... Rip. Yeah. So that's my warning to anyone wanting to install fiber with cats. Like, they are a lot harder to... They're a lot easier to chew through than Ethernet cables, put it that way, which uh, oh, they're yeah. more or less uninterested in. They love my... Uh, lightning cables at the bedside. Um, I used to just let, leave those like hang off the edge, but now I'm like they're tightly bound behind my pillow and stuff like that. So there's like <laughs> nothing hanging uh, for the morning. So cats, fluffy little monsters. Yeah, that's all I got. Okay, see ya. Bye.